0: It's Home Court Press Utah Jazz Talk Jazz Bites with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. The Jazz split a back-to-back in Florida, dropping Game 1 in Miami before dispatching of the Magic on Saturday. Today on Jazz Bites, McCade and I talk Donovan Mitchell's efficiency and his ability to contribute even when not shooting the ball well. We also talk solutions to the Bojan Bogdanovic struggles. But first, we take a look at the rebounding to winning correlation. Is a trend starting to develop? Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites. Welcome into Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined, as always, by Pearson. Uh, Makeda Pearson. it sounds like you didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. You could be okay?
1: No, I'm good. Uh, wife got a little sick, um, probably some food poisoning or some along those lines. So, rhythm's off, but I'm fine. Uh, Jazz got a win, and that makes everything better. We're going to be the number one seed this year. We're going to win a championship. There's better things on the horizon than one night of awake and asleep and all that out of rhythm. stuff. So we're good.
0: (laughs) All right, good. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned the Jazz being in the one seed. It reminds me of, I think it was over the summer. It might have been right after the bubble ended. I'm not totally sure when. But we were talking about where the Jazz stand going forward and you were concerned about whether or not they had actually plateaued, and looks like the Jazz have broken through that that hard ceiling they've been up against the last two or three years, and it, there's a significant chance that they end up with a one seed, unless the bottom really falls out, or you know, injuries, illness impacts this team.
1: Yeah, they've got a, a nice little cushion as we come around the turn of the first half of the season, and we talked about the scheduling super easy in the second half of the season, so... I like the position we're in, but let's talk about the last two Jazz games. um, Halfway through this Eastern Conference road trip and some good stuff to discuss. You have a very interesting and well-played loss, and then you have a kind of slow start but dominating win over a bad team. So good things, bad things, stuff to take away. It was a good weekend all things considered.
0: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, let's just go ahead and get rolling. So the Jazz end up splitting the back-to-back in Florida. They lose to Miami. Like you said, it was actually a really well-played game for the Jazz Miami just played better and if you're you're listening to Miami fans or the Miami announcers and kind of the consensus for the Miami folk is they played their best game of the season to beat the jazz and the jazz they they played okay they probably played 85 to 90 percent of their capability and still had the opportunity to win that game you know barring a couple late turnovers and some offensive miscues. But then we go into Orlando the next night and Mike Conley's not playing. That was just, uh, it seemed like it was kind of a rest thing and making sure that that hamstring doesn't tighten up again on him. Which, hey, if you want to rest a guy on a back-to-back, especially a guy like Conley with so many years under his belt, I I actually support that decision. I like that Quinn Snyder went that direction. Yeah, we've got some good things to look at from these two games. And uh, let's, before we start talking about any specific players and things from these two games i wanted to kind of look at the standings and where the jazz sit right now with two games left before the all-star break and i i wasn't sure where they stood in the division obviously i knew they had a pretty big lead but denver's been up and down this year portland's was was on a hot streak damian lillard was carrying them in spite of the injuries that they've suffered but now portland's gone on a four game losing streak so the Jazz are actually eight games up in the division, and with what? How many games are in the second half of the schedule for the Jazz, McKay? Do you know uh, the number off the top of your head? We're about
1: 40 left, 36 left, so theoretically there's 36 games on each side. I think the Jazz specifically have 37 in the second
0: half. Okay. Uh, so 37 games with an eight-game lead, uh, that is basically insurmountable, unless, as I said before, unless the bottom falls out, unless a guy like Rudy Gobert gets hurt. The, the Jazz have the division locked up, but they're also three and a half games up in the Western Conference over the Lakers. And I would assume that the Lakers probably do some rest and load management over the second half of the schedule. Bit, just because they're an older team, a guy like LeBron, I don't think he's missed a game yet this year. Anthony Davis has been dealing with injuries. He's been out the last couple of weeks. And so he's going to be one to watch with that calf strain and some of the concern that they've had over his Achilles But the Jazz are in a great position right now because, one, they've already got the tiebreaker over the third-place team in the Western Conference, the Clippers. And I'm not sure how many games they sit up on the Clippers, but it's at least four, four and a half, I think it is. And then the Lakers, the Jazz, have one win over the Lakers. They do have a really tough back-to-back in Los Angeles, I believe, it's sometime in March. But... The the Jazz have done everything they could early this year. They've banked these wins so that it, even if they do go through a tough two or three game stretch where they drop a few games, they're okay. They they've put themselves in this position to be the best team in basketball and get that home court advantage. And I know David Locke has mentioned it a few times, but home court advantage might actually mean even more this year depending on what fans in the stands and how that situation shakes out for each individual team. It, like, Los Angeles still is on really high alert with COVID, so they're not letting people into events and things like this. But if we could get, you know, 10,000 fans into the Viv, that could be a pretty significant advantage if the Jazz have home court throughout the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and uh, I did want to mention, yes, yeah, so of the— Lakers and Clippers haven't had a game postponed yet due to COVID, so they're actually a couple games ahead of us. They're already at 35 and 36 games played, respectively. So they're going to have a lot more days off in the second half, theoretically, assuming we don't have any cancellations in the second half, which is probably a, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, assumption. Probably not a very likely assumption.
0: A pipe but dream.
1: I like talking loss, Colin, just because if the Jazz don't lose, then they're in a good shape. So yeah, You have six losses on the Clippers right now five plus a tiebreaker and you have four losses on the lakers and Suns. so great start for sure um we'll see what happens coming out of the second half we'll see how the nba works around any post in the second half but you did mention la is not looking to get fans at least for a few months let alone a full arena and there's a lot of rumors out there that jazz could be pretty close to max capacity by the time the playoffs roll around and especially by the time the finals roll around
0: yeah, that would be exciting to watch. I I went to my first jazz game this season. Uh, it was that Lakers win, and uh, it it was interesting in arena. I honestly, uh, as far as you know, the the COVID type of procedures and protocols that they have in place, they they spaced the fans out really well, and it wasn't walking around on the concourses and just a mass of humanity like it used to be. And uh, I think we're seeing in Utah a lot of these restrictions being relaxed. So yeah, over the next couple of months I wouldn't be surprised if if we start seeing the Jazz go from the 4,000 or so they're allowing in arena right now and and bump that up by by several thousand and and yeah maybe get close to that max capacity. I wanted to say one more thing before we look at these two games in particular and you you talked about the loss column and how important it is and and the advantage that Je- the Jazz have there. The Jazz are actually the only team left in the league with single digit losses. The Lakers are the closest with 11 to the Jazz seven, and then I I think after that it's Philadelphia with twelve losses. So the Jazz have a significant advantage in that loss column that they've built up. Like I said, banking those wins to put themselves in a position where if things do go south a little bit, if they have an injury, if Rudy Gobert misses two games, the Jazz can afford a couple of losses without having to panic.
1: No, they're in great great position there. Knock on wood, but really, the only thing we need at this point is Rudy Gobert help. That's kind of the big thing. If we can take care of that, everything else kind of falls into place.
0: All right, Mick, let's jump into talking about these two games. I, and I'm going to throw it to you. I want to ask you, would you prefer to start with Donovan Mitchell, or do you want to talk about rebounding?
1: Let's talk about rebounding because okay. I think that's an interesting topic. Not that Donovan isn't, but, you know. <laughs>
0: We talk about Donovan Mitchell a lot. Not as many people dive into the rebounding situation. So I wanted to look at this, and we're starting with the Miami game on Friday night. The Heat out-rebounded the Jazz 50-36, to pretty significant rebounding advantage for Miami. They also got 29% of their offensive rebounds. And the thing about rebounding numbers is it's not so much the raw stats, because from night to night, if a team has a poor shooting performance, they're probably going to get more offensive rebounds. If the Jazz have a good shooting performance, then teams aren't going to have as many defensive rebounds and are more likely to be out-rebounded by the Jazz. It's the percentage of those rebounds. It's that 29% of their, their missed shots, the Heat getting those back. So that's 11 offensive boards in one game. And so... For most of this season, I've kind of suspicioned that rebounding is one of the key indicators for the Jazz as far as whether or not they're going to win a game or have an opportunity to win the game. So I went back and I looked at the Jazz' seven losses this year, and conveniently enough, only seven losses. It makes it really easy to go through a game log. It doesn't take very long, does it? No, it does not at all. (laughs) So I I looked at these, and uh, I— I'm trying to figure out the best way to go through these. Do you want to take this one, McCade? You can explain it better than I can.
1: Offensive rebounding is a big deal, and you see, because we've talked about how league average was thirty-five percent back in the mid-nineties, and now we're lucky to get twenty-five percent. The Jazz in these games have been giving up well over twenty-five percent of their defensive rebounding percentages under seventy-five. It's kind of the way we'll talk about it from the Jazz point of view. Specifically, there's been a few games, you know, ironically enough, the Denver win was just absolutely terrible. But the Jazz made just enough shots to pull out an ugly win, which is part of the Jazz winning in different ways. Yep. But the loss in Denver wasn't great. And really, the Miami loss, the Clippers loss, and the Knicks loss were really, really bad, um, where you just couldn't get anything going. The Clippers loss was weird because it didn't look. Necessarily bad when you just look at raw numbers, 45-38. But it was a couple on the offensive end and a couple on the defensive end, and all of a sudden you lose the game by a couple points. And that's super important in those stretches against elite teams. And you know, when you get to the heart of the playoffs, you've got to be able to figure out a way to get an extra two possessions to pull out game five at home type stuff. So there's, I don't say issues there, the Jazz are top five in offensive and defensive rebounding, but that is something they need to do if they want to win games. They've done it this year it is something to keep an eye on as you do get in these more high level games, you know, but then you have games like the Nets game where, you know, the numbers say, Oh yeah, we got out rebounded by 10, but there just wasn't that many rebounds to go around because the Nets didn't miss a shot and we didn't make a shot. So you throw those two in there. And of course they're going to rebound the ball a lot better when that's how the misses are distributed. So, you know, there's a couple of games like that, but specifically the heat game, the Clippers game, the Knicks game was really bad. The win against Denver that we pulled out by the skin of our teeth by two, three points on the road. There have been instances this year where it hasn't been great. So I'll have to look into, you know, who are those matchups because the Clippers don't have anyone that scares me. Bam's awesome, but, you know, it doesn't scare me a ton in terms of rebounding. So just the lack of... Guard rebounding thing? Is Rudy having an off night? I'll look more into that and figure that out. I'll look the why. That is the what is happening.
0: Time out. Help out this jazz. If you haven't had a chance, check out the Jazz Pod Co op on Twitter. It's a group of podcasts with like minded people that just want to share their opinions on the jazz. Here's a preview. Mark and Doug hinty on the 2s and 3s. The weird things about dude shots is like my favorite like NBA subcategory of, <laughs> of that. That definitely, that definitely <laughs> gets the size of that their for hands sure. and like or their like the length of their arms affecting something. I I'm I'm like whether they jump off of 1 foot or because, 2 foot. Right. Like, Emily and McCoy on the Jazz Gals.
1: If anything that video also reminded me like how just a few inches difference it was bef- between us being on one side versus the other, you know, like, well, we all know a few inches can make a difference.
0: Who, Logan and Jared, on hitting the high notes. I, I don't even care if they're hurt or <laughs> I mean, or we're not going to dance on any injuries, but yes. I'm no, buy I i, 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 <laughs> I, I can not make any promises. <laughs> I don't even care if it's a fluke or we cheat. I don't even care. I'll well, yeah. If so, you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? Uh, That's yeah. what they say. And Brian and McCaid on home court
1: press. With Boyan, Memphis is really struggling to shoot. So giving the Boyan to the Grizzlies and then having the Grizzlies forward our first round pick onto another team. If you can get Boyan a first round pick and then get Memphis to throw in a first round pick in the A and take Boyan, a lot of possibilities open for a guy like John Hall. Jazz
0: are going all away. Yeah, and I don't want this to come across as though I'm saying the Jazz are a bad rebounding team. They've been a really good rebounding team. They just had a top five rebounding team in the league this year. But every season, every team, there are certain odd stats that can be indicators of how well they played in any particular game. And for whatever reason, this Jazz team, I, I, like I said, I've found that this rebounding percentage is a pretty clear indicator of how well they played in that game. And you know, being out-rebounded in five of those seven losses, you talk about having the, the number under 75% of their defensive rebound percentage, and that's really where it, it starts to hurt the Jazz. And so one of those things, we're, we're going to talk about power forward depth uh, later in the show. And so I, I do wonder if there's a little bit more that the Jazz can do, add some extra rebounding punch off of the bench, and a, a guy who just wants to come in and do the dirty work and and get those – basically like the role that Ed Davis was brought in to play last season. Is there a guy that's going to be available that the Jazz can pursue when they're getting out-rebound and when they've got a team that's being a little bit more physical than they are that they can throw in the game and – Start getting the job the done, un- or oh, is no that guy no. already on the roster? The, the The next question that comes to mind is: I know he's been hesitant to use it. I think he's used it in two games this year. But the Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors lineup: Yeah, you lose some shooting, but having those two on the floor defensively, you're probably the best team in the league at that point. And who's going to get a rebound with Favors and Rudy playing together?
1: No, yeah, and that's one of the reasons it worked really well when they did play together. So we'll keep an eye on that. I'm not. I said too worried about it. Things have been good. But there is a ton of pressure on the Jazz guards to rebound, especially defensively. And the Jordan Clarksons, Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, obviously have lived up to that um, expectation. But it is still a tough expectation that we will see if it lasts into the playoffs. But they've done a good job of it so far this year. I do want to talk let's talk about Donovan Mitchell right now actually. Okay. I think there's an interesting conversation to be had there cuz he finished with over 60 points within 25 hours. Um was really rough for the first half and second half Don's a real thing like statistically it is a thing. He is much much better in the second half for whatever reason and if that's a good thing or a bad thing can be debated. Um, obviously you want your player to be great for 48 minutes but you know if he gets better as the game goes on that also helps But, you know, 60, what was it, 61 points, 62 points? 61 over the two games. 61 points was, it's a good thing to see him at least hit those numbers despite the efficiency numbers in the first three halves compared to the final half.
0: Yeah, efficiency wasn't a strong suit, especially against Miami. He was 11 of 26 from the field, 2 of 9 from the three-point line. He did increase that efficiency significantly against Orlando, going 10 of 19 from the field and 5 of 8 from three. But what stands out to me, and it continues to be the main thing in my eyes that shows the growth in Donovan Mitchell's game, is the way he fills out the rest of the stat sheet now in more games than not. So Friday night, 30 points, six rebounds, three assists, also had three steals, and we just got done talking about rebounding. Three of his six boards were on the offensive end, and for whatever reason, Donovan Mitchell's offensive rebounds just look better than most guys. It's... I don't think he always uses his athleticism in the same way that he did as a rookie. He doesn't elevate as much as he used to, but when he goes up for an offensive rebound, that's when you really see his athleticism pop in those situations. We saw there was one in particular against Charlotte a couple weeks ago when they were playing the Hornets at home where I think it was Cody Zeller. Um, Which Zeller brother is it in, in Charlotte? Tyler, Cody? It doesn't matter. It's,
1: it's Cody, but, but yeah, you're
0: good. Got, got the rebound, and Donovan just ripped it away from him and ends up hitting a layup. And I, we just see things like that from Donovan Mitchell that we didn't used to get in the last two or three seasons. On Saturday night, he had 31 with four rebounds and another six assists. And it's, it's great to see him filling out that stat sheet and contributing in other ways, because... Unlike the, the guy that we're going to talk about next, if Donovan isn't scoring the ball really well, he's still doing things to show why he's he needs to be playing 35 minutes a night, to show why he is one of the most important players on this team. Uh, The the one complaint I would have about Donovan's game right now is something that you've pointed out on Twitter pretty consistently, is those turnover numbers have got to come down, especially if he's going to be running so much time as the primary ball handler on the floor. He had five turnovers on Friday, three on Saturday, and he's actually averaging a career high three turnovers per game so far this year, up from 2.7 last year, so... I, that's actually a pretty significant jump the uh, from 2.7 to 3. And what do you think, McCade, if, if you have any theories about this, what does Donovan Mitchell need to do to work on those turnover issues?
1: I think that just comes with experience. And it's more the individual games can get bad. You know, he had nine game seven last year of uh, the playoffs. And so it's more just not having those terrible games because he does have plenty of games with 0-1-2 that are just fine. And so, you know, the average doesn't scare me as much as just these games here or there can get really ugly. Um, specifically, I do have some minor questions about the Jazz right now on about if they're built to play from behind, especially in close games. If they're down three or four points or three or four minutes to go, do I trust the Jazz to make a comeback? And that's a minor thing. And what we talked a lot about once you get in the last five minutes, last five points, kind of the clutch thing. There's a lot of luck involved because then you're just counting on, you know, six or seven shots to bounce your way. So... It is a minor concern, but you do see when the Jazz get in these, for lack of a better term, clutch scenarios, Donovan really becomes the, uh, I don't want to say point guard, but he just, everything starts and ends with Donovan. He basically finishes every possession, and we saw that on Friday night. You know, he finishes with 26 shots that he hasn't really got too much this season. Um, And so getting Donovan to either A, be a little bit better, or B, get it, more team basketball a little later in the fourth quarter is going to be something the jazz have to figure out if they want to be able to win close games in the playoffs um or we can just continue to blow everybody out by 20 points i like that because it's not quite as stressful so just a little bit some questions there if donovan and the jazz of the hulk can finish games or rally back from games where they're down just a few points with a few minutes to go so that's what i'm going to keep an eye on personally with donovan Um, because Rudy Gobert is our floor, and Rudy Gobert makes us a guaranteed playoff team, a top five, six seed, and it's just amazing and should be an MVP candidate. But if we want to win a championship, the variance comes with Donovan where Donovan's playing.
0: I think that that you make a really good point, especially when we talk about the the clutch, uh, close game, late minutes, and we just need guys to produce, and I think that's where... I I actually get concerned with the Donovan Mitchell turnovers. It's not the random turnover in the first quarter. It's not, I, you know, I was just trying to make a play and ended up throwing a bad pass or so the defender made a good play. It's the those late-game situations where, and we saw it on Friday against Miami, where Donovan, once the offense starts to break down, Donovan is prone to try and do too much from time to time. And I do think that's an experience thing. That's something that... He's improved on significantly over his rookie year, second year in the league. But there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. He needs to slow down. There was one possession in that Miami game where um, I think I think the ball got knocked away from Donovan. The Jazz were down like two. Ball got knocked away. He gets it back and tried to make a highlight reel pass to Bojan Bogdanovic and ends up throwing the pass out of bounds. And those are the types of turnovers that can't happen. I understand that you're trying to create but you also need to be sound and fundamental in those situations. And I think the jazz offense is good enough that there really aren't that many scenarios in an NBA game where we need Donovan Mitchell to go one-on-one and try and take over. I think if we just play within the offense, move the ball, we're going to get open shots. I and mean, we've seen that all season. It's, it's just when he gets a little bit overzealous and he tries to do too much. So, it's not that I really want to to rein in Donovan at all. It's just, you know, calm down, play within the offense, and I think those turnover numbers should be able to come down naturally. But I've also I've always had a theory about Donovan, and I think that while he's a terrific ball handler and we see his skill level as a dribbler, I don't think Donovan Mitchell has huge... I, in comparison to a lot of other NBA players, I don't think he has huge hands. I think that his hands are a little bit smaller, and that's why he tends to lose control of the dribble a little bit more often than you would expect from, from a guy like him, especially when he's not being pressured defensively on the perimeter and things like that. And those are some of those turnovers that are just kind of ugly and make you go, "What? wait, what What the hell just happened? Why, why are we on a fast break going to the defensive end now?
1: I mean, we've had questions. The Jazz were fantastic last year in the clutch. So, Jazz were one of the worst teams of all time in the clutch two years ago. And they were a really good, solid. I think they finished like 19 and 10 or something like that last year. And so, just trying to continue up that success from last year. And I've said a lot of clutch is luck. You make a shot, it totally changes the game. And he was fouling through at the end of games and all that fun stuff. But the Jazz success last year came from some good shot making. But playing in the offense, we saw a lot of 1-3 pick and roll with Donovan and Boyan last year in clutch situations. And Boyan was awesome in the clutch last year. Obviously, the two big game winners. And so just keeping the offense as a thing and do a flow. And the reason the Jazz are so, so, so good this year is the offensive ball movement and three-point shooting all that. And so letting that be their identity, at least until you get within 30 seconds or a minute, you don't need to go clutch iso ball with four minutes to go. So something... Uh, it's a minor concern but it is a concern moving forward and we just don't have a lot of stats or sample size on it because the Jets don't play close games so if they ever play a close game again we'll watch for it and see what happens
0: yeah there's a really easy solution to the problem and that's just run away and hide from every team that they play and they've done a pretty damn good job of that so far Well, you mentioned Bojan Bogdanovic and that's the guy I wanted to talk about next and he's a guy that Depends. Depending on who you're talking to, I think you and I are actually a, a pretty good comparison on on the jazz Twitter. Uh, you don't love Boyan Bogdanovic's game. I'm and, out. Well, I'm you know, out on Boyan. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You? Oh, I'm out. 100 out. <laughs> Tell us about it. I just, I really like all around players,
1: and it's funny being an analytical guy. You think I should be all about three-point shooting three's worth more than two three's worth more than two but I've actually kind of calmed down on that kind of gone the other way where it's like yeah but two's worth more than zero so if I can get two instead of zero every possession like that's pretty successful and so I'm just a huge fan of the Nick Batum and Joe Ingles type players and I am the pure shooters like Boyan and Clay Thompson and so there's just I just have questions about Boyan at the highest level we saw it defensively this weekend the Jazz had, I think, a 133 defensive rating in Boyon's 30 minutes and a 97 defensive rating in the 18 minutes he was off the court. Like that, I tweeted out, but it's somewhere around 130 and 100 where the Jazz were just so bad defensively with Boyon on the court against the Heat because kind of just big picture he game. That was the first game this year where a team was like, yep, they're the favorites, we're the underdogs, and we're going to embrace that. And so we're going to play their style, and we're going to try and figure out how to beat them. And so one of the things they did is they had Bam uh, play three stints in the – each half so he matched really go bears bench minutes and that worked a little bit so you really saw he embraced the underdog role because a pat riley's just amazing and b eric Spolster's just amazing um and the other thing is they just went at boy on time and time and time again and it was brutal and boyan's not getting assists, he's not getting rebounds he actually shot the, the ball pretty well on friday night too and just i'm just not sure what boyan brings to this team especially because what he does bring to this team is so redundant because we have so many shooters
0: and I don't know that there has been a bigger Bogdanovich fan than I I was. When they signed him last year, I had already been scouting him when he was with Indiana. I thought he would be the perfect addition to this Jazz team and the Quinn Snyder offense. And what his offensive game is, I still think he's the the perfect guy to have on this team. But... I'll be honest, uh, the more I watch the Jazz this season, each time Boyan goes down in the post and is trying to back down a smaller guard or something like that, I kind of cringe. I'm just waiting for a bad play or a turnover or him trying to draw a foul and working harder on drawing the foul than actually making a shot and... Those things are really frustrating to me. And then we start to see how other teams are attacking him on the defensive end. The Clippers did it a little bit in LA in that second game when Kawhi and Paul George played. The Heat were able to do a great job of isolating him and and attacking him with Jimmy Butler and some of their perimeter guys. And that's the that's the problem the Jazz are gonna have once we get into the playoffs is teams are going to isolate and attack Bogdanovich and Last year, one of the things that Quinn Snyder did to help alleviate his deficiencies on the defensive end was he matched basically 100% of Boyan's minutes with Gobert. And I don't know if you have the numbers on this one for this season so far, McCade, but it doesn't seem like it's quite as high of a percentage. the The minutes with Conley and Gobert have matched up, but it hasn't been Boyan. And I wonder if that's something that uh, just a small adjustment that Quinn Snyder can make in his rotations to help Boyan and not get attacked. Uh, even if he is going to be, be the focus defensively on the perimeter of other teams, if you've got Gobert at the basket, it makes Boyan's job on the perimeter a whole lot easier to at least force a tough shot, right?
1: yeah so you're having about 66 percent of boyan's possessions come with gobert after it was i think 93 or 94 last year so we have seen most of that gobert going to the second unit with conley and yang which has been those three together have been fantastic so you're seeing rudy i guess be played away from boyan instead of the other way around um as we've seen gobert go play with the bench which has been as i said absolutely successful on every level so but there just are questions of Boyan, you know, it's kind of a rough comparison because this player didn't do anything well. He couldn't shoot. He just was terrible. But I don't know if it's that far off. If you just take, I mean, it's, it's a Boyan's for here his 3 three-point shooting. But if you kind of put that into perspective a little bit, I'm not sure how far Boyan is off from 2018 Oklahoma City Thunder, Carmelo Anthony. And the Jazz won that series just by, okay, well, where's Carmelo? Okay, come over here. Okay, let's run pick and roll against you. Oh, look, a layup. And that's how the Jets really won that series, is just picking on Carmelo game after game after game. And if we get to a game five, game six, even a game four, against a really good, well-coached team, um, the Mavs would scare me a little bit. Rick Carlisle's a genius, and they have Luka. you are just get into match up with the L.A. teams, or Chris Paul and the Suns, or Jamie and Lillard, and they just might put Boyan in the pick-and-roll every single possession, and it could get ugly. So I have big concerns and questions there. Um, I've talked about trading him uh, quite a bit. I Joe Ingles, can we just talk about how Joe Ingles, now he's shooting over 70 true shooting percentage, which has never been done by anybody under like 6'10". It's ridiculous. Like Joe Ingles has been wiped out this year, and he should be sixth man of the year. But we'll do that on a weekly show some other time. Um, so I get the easy thing is, oh, yeah, you can just play Joe Ingles in the boy on minutes if he's getting picked on on defense. But do you really want to have to bench your third highest paid player because he can't play defense in a high level playoff series. At that point, why not just figure out something else instead of paying him 17, 18, 19, 20 million dollars to be to play eighteen minutes a night in the playoffs?
0: There's actually a lot of things that I wanted to touch on from what you were just saying there. The the first thing is I, I appreciate the comparison with the Oklahoma City Thunder and, and Carmelo Anthony on that team, but I don't I just don't think it's a great comparison. I mean, one Bojan tries defensively. He he does put forth effort, where Carmelo with that OKC team was still, he thought he was a star in the league and should be shooting the ball 20, 25 times, and defense was maybe his second highest priority, probably not even second. And so I don't think that's fair. And also just because this Jazz team as a whole is a lot better defensively and more well-rounded than that Thunder team was. There were a lot of people that you could attack on that Thunder team, and just the way that they they played their style allowed the Jazz the opportunity to attack a Carmelo Anthony, and I don't think it's quite as easy with this Jazz team, but I do understand the comparison. And so the next thing I wanted to touch on was it's what you talked about and how did the Jazz kind of solve this Boyan problem. He's the third highest-paid player on the team. He's making... million this year, $18.5 next season, almost $19.5 the season after, and so I don't really care the fact that he's making that much money and whether or not he gets benched. What I I do worry about is if you want to increase Joe Ingalls minutes a little bit, he's averaging about 27 a game, and you want to bump him up to 31, maybe you give Niang an extra two or three minutes, and you back Bojan off to 22, 23, 24 minutes a night, I I think that's an okay thing to do. It's probably worthwhile. And at least in the clutch minutes, at this point, I think I'd rather see Joe Ingles on the floor late in games. There's no I think about it. I would definitely rather see Joe Ingles on the floor over Bojan in those games. I think defensively, Joe is more effective. And offensively, he gives you more ball handling. He gives you, this season, much better shooting than Bojan brings. And so... I wonder if, at at this point, the way he's being used, if if he deserves 30 minutes a night. And then the next thing is, I, I kind of wanted to talk about the trade options. I know you and I have, have discussed this a little bit, and it's something that you definitely want to do. This is where I think the money comes into play. It's not what he costs for the Jazz. It's, well, if we have so many concerns about Boyan, and he doesn't do this, or he doesn't do that, and he doesn't bring you... Uh, this type of thing on on whatever portion of the floor, why would other teams be willing to take on that contract and give up anything of value? I think that's where I get hung up the most on a a Bogdanovich trade is I just don't see with what he's doing on the floor night to night why another team would want to take on over $40 million in salary over the next two years.
1: Because he's a really, really, really good shooter. But he hasn't has been a good shooter this year. Even
0: open team. looks, he hasn't been a good shooter. He was a knockdown shooter last year, has been previously in his career, but not this season.
1: Yeah, I still think if you're a team like Memphis who just could use some more shooters around John Moran or something like that, you might be willing to give up some low-value assets to get a good shooter. And uh, You're right, he's not quite an elite, elite, top-tier shooter like he was last year, but he's still right there at 40 percent and he can still make some tougher threes and he's got the killer one triple sidestep three and i still think he has value to a lot of teams this league i just don't know if he has value on a championship level team um at least at this price everybody has value you know i would love whoever on a minimum deal right it's all relative to your price and salary cap situation um so i just that's the question there is when we get into I know. See, this is the problem with being the one seed halfway through the season, and having it almost locked up. Is like everything we say is like, well, what about Game Six of the playoffs? So it's kind of like the only thing we have to look forward to right now, right? So, but one, but it is a serious conversation. Is once we get into a Game Six, Game Seven of the playoffs, do we trust Boyan Bogdanovich to be a least neutral, hopefully positive player in Game Six of a series against the Clippers, Lakers, Nets, whoever it may be? And so, there, I'm concerned. I know some people aren't. I know some people just want to ride out the chemistry wave and see where it takes us. But if you have a chance to get better, I think you have to take it because I don't know when the next time the Jazz are going to be in this good of a position to win a championship. We've talked about this is an older team, so we don't know how they're going to come back next year or the year after that. We're hoping Ryan Smith dives into his pockets to pay Mike Conley this coming summer. But, you know, so assuming all that works out then you have some title hopes the next couple years, but this is the year you have a chance, and I'd hate for it to fall short because Boyan gets picked on for eight minutes in a game seven, and that's that. So,
0: I think that's the I'm, key right there, McCade, is the Jazz have to be all-in this season. This is their championship window, and yeah, we we can look at the Mitchell and Gobert contracts and see the the team that Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay have built around Quinn Snyder's offense and, and defensive philosophies, but... You you can't play for next year at this point. You, you have to be focused 100% on getting the championship right now because right now you are the best team in basketball. And so that's, again, where to kind of my questions come in with the way Boyan has played, with the way he's been used on this team. I don't know that you can get value back this season that's gonna help you win a championship right now. I mean, yeah, maybe long term we can talk about what the benefit could be of moving off of Bojan's deal and being able or being more capable of paying Mike Conley going forward and things like that. But I just I feel like right now, if you were to try and trade Boyan Bogdanovich, you're selling at his lowest value and at best, you're probably bringing in, bringing back another bad contract, just to be able to unload that, and that's that's where my concerns are. Is I'm trying to figure out how do the Jazz thread the needle, and be as good as possible this year, while still looking ahead to next year and and the year after that, and and what what kind of things can they do? And I feel like the best use of Boyan is, you know what, probably in a seven game series two games, he's going to be able to score 20, 25 points and really, if not carry you to a win, at least put you in a great position and do enough offensively to offset what he gives up defensively. But the other five games, I think you've already got the pieces on the roster, is really where I'm at. I I look at this team chemistry a lot. We're not playing Roto. This isn't Stratomatic. It's not a fantasy league. And so we have to take into consideration that locker room chemistry. I think it's a huge deal. Being a, a big fan of the Chicago Cubs, that 2016 World Series team loved each other, and they loved going to the ballpark every day. This jazz team has a very similar vibe. They love spending time with each other. We How many times a week do we see different press conference interviews where Joe Ingles interrupts and comes in and talks a bunch of crap and then just walks out? It, this, this team is so cohesive and united right now I don't think they stand to gain very much if they looked to trade Bojan Bogdanovic from what his value is and and what the Jazz already have in-house I think you can afford to give Joe two three four more minutes a night you can give Mia Oni. Five to ten minutes a night. You can give George Niang a couple more minutes the way he's been playing on both ends of the floor. Shout out to George Niang. He's been so good offensively, but his improvement defensively is incredible what he's been able to do this year. And so I just I think I think there are options and things that the jazz need to do to improve the roster, but I don't think bojan is the guy that they need to focus on when they're looking to improve the roster right now this season it. Am I am I making sense or am I just kinda of talking yeah. in circles? Yeah, let me
1: let me just make one more comment and we kinda of wrap this conversation up. But so let's talk about what trading Bournemouth actually means. So I think can we agree the Jazz are probably somewhere between twelve and eighteen percent to win the championship right now, um, uh, which is probably kind of co favorites with the Lakers or Clippers are probably in that range. The Bucks are probably in that range, the Nets might be a tad higher. It's a pretty wide open five sixteen race right now. Yeah. Um where everybody's sitting about sixteen percent. And so I don't think you cannot not win a championship with Boyan. Like, he can be on this team and be solid, and you can still win a championship. But for me, it's all about maximizing those odds. If you can get a move that takes you from 16% to 25%, you know, you'll probably do it. And it probably can help your cap situation in the future. And Yada, yada, yada. We can talk cap stuff on Twitter. Um, And so it's not necessarily we need to trade Boyan to get into the championship conversation or we need to trade Boyan to jump out and become the KD Steph Curry. We're not going to lose Warriors because neither of those two things are legit. What it really is is that you're trying to move from the back of the top tier group to the front of the top tier group, which has a lot of value. The Jazz have never won a championship. If you tell me we can go from 16% to 25%, I'm doing that any day of the week. But it's not as necessarily as we have to do something. We have to trade Boyan to get into the conversation or if we trade Boyon, we're running away with the competition. Both those things aren't true. And so it's not a need, it's just more of a want.
0: Okay, and that's fair enough. I just, I'm really, I'm racking my brain for the possibilities of how the Jazz can improve. And I do think, if we're looking at a depth piece, Power Forward is probably the focus on where the Jazz should try to improve right now. And, you know, it's just going to be a matter of, how how do they maximize what they've got on the roster? At least that's what's in my mind. But, yeah, McCade, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Jazz back on the floor tonight, right?
1: Yes, sir. We are in New Orleans, who's been on fire lately. Um, they've had some struggles, but they have, uh, I think, scored a ton of points, and their defense is slowly getting there. They're winning some games. They had that fun win against Boston the other day on ABC that was last Sunday. So the, the Pelicans are coming around. This is no easy game tonight.
0: No, this is a very different Pelicans team from the one Jazz fans saw in Salt Lake uh, about a month ago. And offensively is really where they've made the change. Uh, Stan Van Gundy has realized what an offensive force Zion Williamson can be. Zion, his numbers are through the roof right now. I think he... Average 26, 27 points a game in February, and they're really running the entire offense through him as kind of a point forward. So a few numbers I, I got from the Pelicans just over the month of February. This is February 1st to February 28th. They are leading the league in scoring at 121.4 points a game. The Jazz are second at 119.9. They, they have a 122.7 offensive rating. They're third in the league in field goal percentage, making just under 50% of their shots. They're, we talked about rebounding and how if you want to beat the Jazz, rebounding is one of the keys to do it. The Pelicans are averaging 12.5 offensive rebounds a game. That's first in the league. They're collecting almost 33% of their missed shots as offensive rebounds, which is a huge number. And they're also turning the ball over, the third fewest in the league in February averaging only 12.1 turnovers a game. So this the, the Pelicans actually do some things really well that give the Jazz problems with the offensive rebounding. The Jazz don't force turnovers very well. The Pelicans don't turn the ball over. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting test for the Jazz. This is by no means a, a team that they can overlook.
1: Yeah, Pelicans right there in the thick of the playoff conversation right at the playing border. So they need this win. I do want to point out, as great as February has been for the Pelicans. Quinn Snyder is very, very likely to win his second consecutive Coach of the Month award. Um, we all were very, very worried about February and rightfully so. We had reason to worry. And the Jazz came out and they went twelve and two in February are just fantastic. So Quinn should win coach of the month. I'd looked it up. It's not quite as rare as you think for a coach to win back to back coach of the month, but it is pretty rare. I think the last time it happened was Terry Stotts did it in twenty eighteen, March and April or something like that. So it might have been twenty nineteen actually. Regardless the jazz were awesome in February and those questions, why the questions were valid, the questions were answered and the jazz are for real.
0: That'll wrap it up for us today. Uh, remember to check out the hashtag co-op. Always a lot of fun with those guys, the twos and threes. I had a nice back and forth with Mark on Twitter. I think it was Saturday night. We were trying to give a, an acronym or a name to Sarah Todd's Rudy Gobert free throw style theory. That was an interesting one. That was a good conversation. And then, uh, over on Hitting the High Notes, Home Court Press made an appearance, and uh, both McCade and I went on, and I'll tell you, one of us was sober and coherent throughout the conversation. That was a lot of fun. Hey,
1: okay, we had a fun little bromance moment. It was great. Go check it out.
0: We did have a good little bromance. I always have McCade's back. <laughs> but where can they find you on social media, McCade? Uh,
1: you can find me at McCadeP8. that's you know what to do.
0: Uh, you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter, at bpriest24. You can also find Home Court Press At homecourt underscore press. And if you like what you're hearing from the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. Um, Also, one last thing is I went on the Dog and Deuce show last week. So you can find that on YouTube. You can find them at Dog and Deuce on Twitter. And a couple really good guys talking a lot of all Utah sports. So Utah BYU, Utah State. they're, They're following all the colleges. They do a lot of jazz content. And Those those are fun guys to talk to, so you can check that one out. But uh, last but not least, McCade, how do we close it up? Take note.